Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. Isle of Dogs. Directed by Wes Anderson, 2018. So, who's with us today? It's me, Cassidy. And me, Stacy. <laughs> Surprise. Wes Anderson's ninth feature and second stop-motion film takes us to a future Japan, ravaged by dog flu and a Machiavellian mare. While attempting to rid the city of all disease and return cats to supremacy, the wrong dog is exiled, sending a 12-year-old to Trash Island in search of his beloved pet. So, Wes Anderson. Oh, Wessie Wes. Rochelle's favorite. <laughs> Do you not like Wes? I'm not a huge Wes fan. Interesting. Can we like unpack that just a little really well, quick? Maybe we should yeah. do our yays and nays and then we can do that. Okay, I'm right? Intrigued. We have I a structure. Okay, we have fine. a formula. I'm just a free spirit. I know you're a free spirit. And I love that about you. Why don't we discuss a little bit about why we will see this film? What are our yays? Okay, my yay is the multimedia animation. Yay. My yay is that the emotions of the film really landed for me, which is unusual for a Wes Anderson film. And I suggest seeing this film if you don't like Wes Anderson films normally. How about nays? I have a really lame, shallow nay, and it's like if you're in the mood for a high drama, tear-jerking in a sad way movie, don't go to this one. (laughs) Did, when she said shallow nay, did anyone else think Chalamet? Oh, <laughs> Chalamet. Sorry. No, but now I am. Oh, it's a funny oh, association. Man. A reason not to see this film is the boys' club writing room. I love that nay. Mm-hmm. I love it. I didn't appreciate the way the female characters were utilized in this film. I didn't see depth of character to even one and that was disappointing another beautiful nay this is only the fifth Wes Anderson film that I've seen I've not seen Darjeeling or there there are just a couple that I haven't seen they've just been misses for me and other than Rushmore um, and if I'm in the right mood fantastic Mr. Fox I'm just not a fan I think that it's the flashiness I find very distracting. And I also have a hard time with the deadpan affectation um, being utilized by everyone equally. Um, and so those, I mean, those are two significant reasons that I'm not pro S. Anderson, which is not a, a popular opinion <laughs> at all in the film world. Well, you're so concerned with story and like, you know, depth of character. Yes. And for me, I think I'm a sucker a little bit more for Wes Anderson work simply because of the visuals. But it was the Grand Budapest, which is beautiful, but it almost was like too much. It was like watching an art installation the entire time. But yeah. it was like I felt like Moonrise Kingdom. He did a nice job of like balancing story to like the visual, you know, but for Grand Budapest was just so heavy in those visuals. It was exhausting for me to watch. I think I've only seen that movie once, um, but I felt like hit that lends itself to animation. Like, and again, for me with animation, because of American Pete's, I'm like obsessed animation for me because I'm obsessed with this project, American Pizza, that's multimedia animation. I was blown away um, just by the use of multimedia and the way that uh, they explored like depth of field 
in this film, I thought was incredible. Um, so on that end, I think Wes Anderson is a good person to make animated features yeah. because it's like less exhausting for the viewer to get wrapped up in for some reason because you're already going in like this is going to be fantastical and a journey. I don't know. But in the live action, I totally see where it's distracting at times. I think his aesthetic is perfect for animation. And I think also it depends on the story, like the content itself, where his sort of hollow, um, disengaged caricatures work. Um, and I think they did work in Isle of Dogs for me. Um, but yeah, I think that his his whole aesthetic would benefit from different writers. And what's interesting about this film is he had four other writers with him, correct? Developing the story. So definitely three. It I was don't... three. Yeah, I thought it was three, but it could have been four. I'm not, I don't know. But there I, was a collection. Yeah. It was a collection. I'm surprised because I didn't feel that at all. I felt like it was just Wes Anderson at the keyboard. And it said that he did write the screenplay. So they all contributed to the story, but I don't see how they contributed at all. For me, it felt very Wes Anderson. So I'm surprised. I wish that there could be some outside force that shakes that shakes things up. Um, He's an interesting in director in that way, though. You know, I feel like he does just like he's it. He's the spotlight. You mm-hmm. know, and it's interesting in that way. I feel like with a lot of other actors and directors, like an audience can quickly get worn out by the mm-hmm. same sort of approach to different films. For some reason with Wes Anderson keeps people coming back for more but I think it is that visual engagement too potentially totally I mean it's gorgeous it's beautiful and I love his composition even in his live action films like Life Aquatic is still definitely one of my tops just because of the way it looks the soundtrack soundtracks are really affecting for me in Wes Anderson films as well which is why I loved Grand Budapest I think that's his best soundtrack personally. I don't know. It's up there with Life Aquatic because those David, uh, those Portuguese David Bowie covers are amazing. They're amazing. I did read something interesting about Isle of Dogs in the soundtrack, which is that Miyazaki was one of his main inspirations mm-hmm. for the film. And in the score, Miyazaki was a big inspiration for him and the lack of music, mm-hmm. the silence in parts, which I really appreciated. I feel like it helped kind of capture where Japan, you know, where the film was taking place. Um, totally. I read that as well, that Kurosawa and Hayao Miyazaki right. were huge inspirations, particularly the rhythm of Miyazaki films was something that he drew inspiration from. Um, and what's also interesting is one of the writers on Isle of Dogs was involved in Lost in Translation, so uh, which is one of my favorite Oh man, that's one of my guilty. It's not a guilty pleasure. Oh, it's no. one of my absolute. It's just favorites. one of my favorite films. So I think that he was wise um, in building his team. One of the voice actors I also read was a voice actor from Spirited Away. Mm-hmm. And Spirited so- Away. How about that butler <laughs> at the end? Did it not look like the uh, uh, from Spirited Away when the he butler? got like angry at the end or like the, oh the like, no face? Yeah, he looked, like, he looked exactly no like no face hmm. at the end. I think that was this character's name. Shoot, now I'm doubting yeah, myself. it was no, face. was it no face. Yeah, that's correct. Can we also just give a shout out to <clears throat> Bill Murray because he's amazing? <sighs> yes. And I also came across a fun fact. Oh, man, I don't remember which film. Rushmore. Actually, it was Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he only made $9,000 on Rushmore. I believe it. Paid him low-budget SAG wages. I so cool. love 
that. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are obviously a lot of influences and, you know, Kurosawa specifically for animation. And you you have him drawing people together, you know, the writer from Lost in, Transmi- Lost in Translation and then Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. You have different people coming back together um, after projects from a very long time ago. Of course, his core people return Tilda you know, just over and over and over again. You see him working with similar people and drawing from probably somewhat similar avenues but being quite faithful and that in and of itself is so confusing to me um, why if he has this nucleus of dynamic creators around him how we're still getting these roadblocks how we're still having these like major issues with female characterization who isn't bringing this up if we had really five writers total on this just even if they're men there are plenty of male writers who can write dynamic female roles. I'm, I'm very concerned about what's happening in that writing room. Like you said, Stacey, you're nay, this, this boys club writing room. And it is interesting because when did, I believe he started production on this like three years ago. I remember seeing that teaser trailer uh, with him and um, oh, dude's name keeps escaping me today and I love him from Fight Club. Um, Edward Norton? Edward Norton. Sorry, Edward. Love you. Um, <laughs> but there was like a little teaser that came out years ago. And so it's interesting to analyze film that's coming out right now that was still written years back with Me Too and Time's Up and just this whole new awareness of like including the female perspective in storytelling, you know, because I, I mean, it's still a little bit archaic in these films that are coming out this year. <laughs> well, and I know that that this story essentially revolves around that quintessential to a degree cliche a boy and his dog um but that does not mean that the rest of the story has to follow that formula or or be reduced since there's so many innovative exciting things happening here while he draws from really a a wealth of past creativity i just i don't know Mm -hmm. And it was very cliche, like, how they were both, like, show dogs that were, like, dainty little lady dogs. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I think for me, again, I was so wrapped up in the animation and, like, the tricks that they used and the stop motion with the live action. Like, all of that is what really I was just wrapped up in that. Um, But it's such a glaringly obvious point that I missed. It's imagining that writing room. It's just, like blinders up boy talk like that's all I can visualize well and obviously great humor and jokes came through I mean I of what I've seen this is by far the funniest Wes Anderson film um we accessed a lot of emotions in uh Fox but you also are accessing lots of emotions here and they play over well I know um for all of us we had probably a similar understanding of those emotions but I had also a different desire of what I saw, you know, everyone's eyes teared up the exact same way. I wanted to see a diversity, uh, not in less emotion, but in, in the way that it was expressed. Um, it, it would have added another depth of character, uh, with that visual. And if he's this master of visualization, you know, um, you have to incorporate the diversity of, of, how people express emotion. I find in a lot of Japanese animation, the way that they emote is so vastly different than American film. You know, the way in which they laugh is all the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that could potentially, and I'm just speculating, 
but I think that could potentially be them trying to keep it like rooted in Japan. And I have to say this before I forget, the other thing I did really appreciate was when they were speaking Japanese, there weren't any subtitles. There was like the occasional subtitle, but when the characters were speaking Japanese, you were just sitting there like figuring out what they were saying as the viewer. I was told that um, individuals who speak Japanese, when they listen to that, it's like um, a distance, like a tunnel. It's like a mumble. It's sort of like uh, Charlie Brown, the parents. That's how it comes across in the way that it's recorded or the way that it's expressed. It's not purely understandable, I believe, is what I was told. And I wonder if that's accurate. But Yeah, I read a similar article where um, native speakers and people who – were not native speakers but understood Japanese said that it sounded like there were cotton balls mm. in their mouth mm-hmm. and that um, that it was all understandable but it was definitely not there for Japanese speakers it was very utilitarian like it was just sort of there because that was the backdrop that was the aesthetic was this Japanese culture which I did actually in a note Cassidy to go back to your point um, there is a culture of politeness I think that's very prevalent in Japanese media, which I'm sure resonates with Wes Anderson with his style of storytelling and that it's sort of reserved. Right. Because the the emotions, though they were the same every time, and I wonder about restrictions in animating to in stop motion, mm-hmm. um, as far as like showing different types of emoting, for, for whatever reason, they really hit for me. And I read um, an article about that, too, that was like the puppets, the stop motion puppets did have a lot of hurdles that they had to overcome because they were so limited in what the puppets could do, um, just to add to mm-hmm. it. But. Yeah. For me, and yeah, for me, those emotions really landed. And I think it was because we were seeing um, that moment when a human and an animal can actually communicate. Mm-hmm. Like that was so impactful for me. I was weeping hard. If I could have seen that movie with my dog... That would have been so cool. I wish that my dog and I could really understand each other and we would have that moment. Oh, it was so powerful in the film when he's like, I understand. But see, I, I understand. Wonder... And, then, and then he wells up. Like that was a beautiful Wes Anderson moment that I've not really experienced in his movies. And I wonder with the whole language thing, even with the cotton balls in the mouth, if like that's what they're trying to convey. It's like it doesn't matter if you can't directly understand which, what is being said by watching like the story unfold and the way in which people are communicating, you do understand what's going on. Well, I think from a dog level and a human level, but I think it was definitely a very Western take. We as a Western audience don't understand Japanese, just like dogs don't understand what humans are saying. Um, And so I think that what the article that I read, I think was a variety article um, was that as a Japanese speaker, that was an opportunity for them to get something out of it or have something in there that they would glean that a Western audience couldn't. Right. And then making it um, work better across that huge pond. That's <laughs> so interesting. It's so like white American to me to be like, oh, I'm going to make this movie about Japan and I'm going to pull in like certain writers out of that pool and then just like completely ignore. Yeah like being true to that culture. So there is one connection to Japanese culture that I found, and that's the uh, Onigashima fable, mm-hmm. which is about this boy named uh, Momotaro, and he goes to the Isle of Demons. Oh. So that is, I guess, an old Japanese fable that everyone over there knows about. So that's an interesting connection. There's an actual- It's not for Western 
audiences at all. There's an actual Isle of Dogs. In London. Yeah. And it got its name because dead dogs apparently were like washing up on the shore. And it was like, I think it was industrialized and then like became swampy. And at some point in World War II, like it was like heavily bombed. And so it like, again, became this kind of like abandoned isle, but that's still called Isle of Dogs. Mm. So it's interesting to see like, or to think about where he got his inspiration, though I read it was like because of some conversation he had with someone where they just wanted to make a movie about a boy and his dog in like a dump, like yeah. a trash mm-hmm. dump. Profound. Yeah. <laughs> I did read a fun fact that Wes Anderson doesn't actually have a dog, <laughs> but a pygmy goat. <gasps> oh, fun. Okay, <laughs> Wes, can you just calm down? We get it. So, You're different. Thanks. What a hipster. God. How yes. can you have a does, I'm I'm sure he lives in LA, right? How can you have a pygmy goat in LA? I mean, their pens don't have to be very big. We've had pygmy goats. That's true. You can like have it in your backyard. Yeah. Hmm. So the two brother dogs, Spots and Chief. Chief. I have to say, I think that that was my favorite part of the movie um, was watching Chief's exploration of self. And this, I think, is why I, I really did enjoy this film is because the level and the dynamic of characterization was explored so much more than I've seen um, in an Anderson film. Even Fox. For me, it was... Fox was so great with the family and the community. Uh, and so like more of like a social uh, exploration. But watching Chief and listening to Chief and the entire journey with Chief to then find out that he's Spot's biological brother and he's the actual beloved pet, like he's the actual dog uh, for this little boy, you know. And yes, Spot's, you know, had a military background and, you know, had like a duty. <laughs> and it, I did, I liked that a lot. Yeah, it's the teeth. The military, <laughs> military grade. It was interesting how like my love was with Spot's until that bath happened with Chief and then it's just like, yeah. That was brilliant. And I mean, as far as like pacing where that was set in the film too, yep. I mean, it's like this beautiful hook right in the middle that like keeps you wanting more. Which is important for me because I often find that there's a point in Anderson's films where I'm just sort of like, okay, and? And I didn't have that with this film partially because of that hook and I, how it kept going, right? Like yeah. the the other dogs come and they're like, what happened to you? I had a bath. He has soap, only a little. Like I just, <laughs> it's just, he, he his loyalty and faithfulness became so much more apparent um, even just in the way he was communicating with the other dogs. It's like he didn't even know it himself yet. And what a beautiful, subtle way of expressing how we overcome the things that have held us back when we find a person to really love or mm-hmm. or whatnot. You know, I don't know. I just I can get very mushy about it, but it was my favorite part of of the film by far and away. Yeah. And I think Brian Cranston really helped that because he's such an emotional man and you can hear the emotion in his voice, which is such a nice contrast to the typical casting. (laughs) Yeah. That is in Wes Anderson's films. Um, So that was refreshing Mm -hmm. to have such an emotive actor in that pivotal role. There was quite a bit of diversity between the dogs, you Mm -hmm. know, and they, you know, like 
the gossip and like they each had like their own their own line to toe and they did it so well and it was such a great group but then there's the uniform concept of every single one being named in some way as a leader because they were right. all their own leaders and i read that, that it was intentionally they all had names that could have been uh, basically just like leader names and i like that mm-hmm. because you really felt that all the way through um even though some of them were more silly and some of them were more serious. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know the point why they all needed to be leaders. Um, boys because club. dogs all... Boys club. <laughs> no, boys club. and because dogs all want to be the pack leader. Like, I think, for me, the way that they hit on emotions was, like, with the dogs. For the human emotion, no. It didn't hit with me at all. I didn't shed one tear in that film, which is crazy for me because I am a weepy, weepy woman. <laughs> at everything but yeah I didn't feel like the haiku part I guess <laughs> but to me none of that like I had no connection to the boy or any human oh, no. character like it's I all about like, the dogs yeah I feel like they did a really nice job of like hitting on the nuances <laughs> of dogs personalities mm-hmm. but as far as even like the boy and dog relationship like that didn't do anything for me none of it really did anything for me other than like those nuances of the dogs which kept me engaged the whole time what was the boy's name? I forgot the little Atari. boy's name. Atari. He was fine. And then Greta Gerwig was almost ruined for me in this film. I was like... Her character was pointless. Like, you could remove was, it. And, well, and it was her. But I just mean, like, her storyline, that character's storyline. It was Greta Gerwig. I'm like, yeah. But, I mean, to me, it was Hey, like, Greta. Hey, what up, girl? Hey, Greta. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you have the exact same, like, quirky, angsty storyline that you always have. Blah, blah. Yeah, for me, it felt in line with just Wes Anderson. I guess I didn't really feel Greta E. It just felt Wes Anderson E. Where there's a moment, usually in his films, and it's towards the end that you're like, "Why are we talking about this? Or why did you add in this storyline? Because you could lift her whole storyline out of there, and it would still be fine." Because she like starts we, this rebellion that really has no bearing on what's going to happen. I because like the dogs show up and the one- make the change. I feel like he just threw her in to have Greta Gerwig in his movie and be like, hey, this is obviously, so obviously Greta Gerwig. Yeah, Yeah, I wasn't fond of that character. I felt like they needed her to be white so that she could speak English and because they imposed that roadblock um, where they didn't have subtitles, you know, but they wanted to have this rebellion character and it was convenient, more convenient to make it English. So that they that she so she could speak, but then that rubbed me wrong a little bit because then it's like, why is this white person the only one who's saying, "Hey, this is kind of wrong." I that liked the hacker me. the most. He was my favorite, and he never said anything. Which, yeah, I just feel like the humans. Well, well, I was pretty sad when the scientist got poisoned. That was a bummer. I didn't like that because I really liked what he was trying to do and poor Yoko. I did appreciate, yeah, like kind of the darkness in the entire storyline. And I mean, I think it is a metaphor for the way in which, or an article I read was talking about this, for the way in which we do treat our dogs. Like apparently military dogs are always euthanized. Yeah, because they can't like be rehabilitated. Yeah, they're always euthanized. And so, I don't know. That actually brings up... A note that I'd written down was the sushi scene. Oh, I loved the procedural scenes uh, in this. That The procedurals, yeah, like the operation. Well, the sushi scene to me was the Very same. Very procedural. Yeah. But it started really affecting me. Um, 
I don't know, it felt like a vegan plug almost because the animals were moving around and and very much alive and then the chop came and they died and it was for this elaborate presentation which is sushi you know it's very beautiful and so that that kind of like hit me a little bit I don't know if anyone else had that no. reaction Neil didn't have that my husband didn't have that reaction he was like yeah sushi's cool but what? for me I was like oh my gosh what are we doing have you watched chefs do that though I mean that's how it I is. know how it, I know but it was just the way I guess it was just the way in, in which it was portrayed it was over and over it was like alive dead made beautiful alive dead made beautiful that is interesting that really stuck with me like i was sort of like i felt like i was getting punched in the face during that scene for some reason it was like emotional for me i guess i was just so about animals and so then to have this like very procedural clinical look at killing animals for humans pleasure not just for sustenance but to have an ex for an extravagance you know what right. i mean um, that's something that stuck out to me that I keep dwelling on. Like, and was it kind of weird that no other owner like gave a shit that their dogs were like sent to the Isle of Dogs? Well, I mean, we get glimpses of the like the baseball team, right? All and the at the family, restaurant, the biscuit and, yeah. family. <laughs> it's like they, I believe that they were sad, but we didn't really get emotions from them. And maybe that's fine, but I think that us seeing them at all was supposed to elicit the fact that they are, their dog was missed or something. Maybe Wes Anderson is an alien mm -hmm. and he's trying to figure out human emotion and he's like, is this it? Is it's this like it? always a little bit off. <laughs> and yeah, it's never, that's why we're like, what? Wait, like you're trying to do it, but you never really do it. Well, but he does it when he's working with animals. So maybe the answer is that Wes Anderson should stop writing films featuring yes. people and only write featuring animals. I'm totally good with that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> his animal films are my favorite of his films, mm -hmm. mostly. I do really like Life Aquatic, though. I need to rewatch some of some of his films because I feel like my viewing, uh, the way I approach film has changed or evolved in certain ways. So it's been a while since I've seen Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic is one of those like super trendy movies that while I was in art school, everyone was wearing a Sisu hat and like, <laughs> I've just never, I loved the soundtrack. It's so good. And that's, I didn't like it. I did not care for that film. I just loved right. Angelica Houston. They like lived on an island and had tons of animals. Like they didn't have kids. They just had tons of animals. And she's like so flat, but it's so funny with her because she's so intense. I don't know. I do love that she was credited in this film in Isle of Dogs as the silent poodle. That's so funny and pisses me off <laughs> at the same time, actually. Yeah. Just as far as your nay goes. Yeah. <laughs> and just like calling her a bitch at the very end. Yeah, and, like, like my bitch. Over, that bitch. I mated with her. Like, oh gosh. Such crazy stereotypes. Like, hey, Wes, could you yeah. just whip your dick out and like flop it on screen just to make sure we like knew who was in the writing room thing? I was, I think, most baffled by Scarlett Johansson's dog. <laughs> Nutmeg. Nutmeg. Mm -hmm. um, mostly just because of how many boxes of stereotypes it checked and how much she had to just even overcome and just rumors on this trash island. And I didn't understand if we were making any advances in any way, shape, or form. What connection was built? None. No, for women, there was nothing going on in this film. 
as far as like advancing goes. No, it was a really pretty white patriarchy with hipsters. Utilizing a future Japan as the vehicle and animals. Which is also annoying. I did appreciate that there were Japanese actors in it that he had pulled Mm -hmm. in. You know, I mean, that was nice. But still, it's like you're not going to give top like any of these top roles to a Japanese person because we're in white America. I don't know. That was like a little interesting. For me, it was that there were opportunities there for a Japanese story to exist that we wouldn't get so that a Japanese viewer could watch it and get something else. So the opportunity was there, but no one took it. And there were five people, however many people in that writing room. That's so frustrating. And it's interesting with like Miyazaki being one of his biggest influences because Miyazaki intentionally explores Japanese folktales. And I feel like that's why American audiences are oftentimes so captivated with his work because it's so other to us. It's so like different than any kind of folklore that we've experienced. Like that is a big draw for Miyazaki and the soundtrack, you know, just like how Japanese there mm-hmm. is amazing. So it's interesting that that was one of his main inspirations. And yet he kind of like dropped the ball there a little bit. Well, and maybe that you you had suggested that the affectation of everyone crying the same could have been a direct nod to the way that emotion is conveyed and expressed in Japan. And if that's the case and it was intentional, then I would love if the uh, exchange student didn't have the exact same affectation. That's a really Unless good she's point. trying to mimic the culture, which I could see. As a white American, yeah, probably. Well, and <laughs> she's she's submerged her life. She's, she loves it, this culture. She loves being there, um, I believe. I mean, she takes up uh, defending dogs. I don't know, I guess, then what her motivation for being there is. That's but just there's it. no motivation. There's none. Like, and then she's like, I have a crush on him. It, she was pointless, and then she was a white savior. Like, it was not good. <laughs> I, I mean, to me, the white savior thing, I don't see her as that because she didn't do anything. Like, I see the pointless character that you could have totally removed, but to me, like, she saved nothing. I realized she didn't save anything, but she was the only person that was like, hey, there's a problem here with your politics, and I'm going to be the one to lead this rebellion that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> so... I don't see why they didn't have her be just a Japanese student, this Japanese girl who's like, wait a minute, this is a problem. That would have been more powerful, I Yeah, I, feel. I agree. Yeah. Why did she have to be a white American from Ohio? I mean, I loved her hair. Her yeah, hair was another rad and her freckles. Thing to get, I just like, what was going on with her? <laughs> I don't understand. Well, I think it was creating a dichotomy. It was pretty stark. Uh, I'm not sure what the purpose of that is. And maybe Wes Anderson is not trying to be political or any, you know, he's just like, hi, I'm Wes Anderson. Me and my pygmy goat. I make weird shit. <laughs> and this is what I thought looked cool and sounded cool. And these are funny jokes. Haha, <laughs> Yay. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, none of his work has much depth. Like to me, I think the Darjeeling Limited is the film that deals with like emotion the heaviest in a total boys room sort of way. Um, That's another film that used another culture as a backdrop yeah and just i mean and he didn't even try to tie in like people of that culture in that film it was just the white boys on the train taking a lot of drugs um 
And I don't mean as far as like cultural appropriation in that film at all, just in the fact that they like dealt with some heavier stuff. And I guess he always tries to deal with like heavy stuff and then just never deals with it. So it's like an element of his storytelling that is never explored. Because he's an alien. Because he's an alien and he doesn't understand humans. Yeah, who should just write about animals. So he's trying hard, yeah, but yeah, he's an animal maybe in a human body. Well, maybe that means that animals and humans have similar emotions. What? And so he's trying to figure out humans. Dogs. Yeah. Dogs learned expression for humans. Like they developed emotion on their face in order to convey what they're feeling to us. Mm -hmm. So what do we want to take away from this viewing? What do we hope uh, to apply to future viewings of Wes Anderson films or film in general? Stick with animation. For me, is my biggest takeaway. I think that's when he's most successful in conveying emotion and get some ladies in that writing room and actually take their advice. (laughs) I think mine is after this conversation, if you're going to create a film that takes place in a different country, in a different culture, get people from that country in the fucking writing room with you and then like give them some power there because like what are you doing but he did and that's where i'm like in the writing room yeah no no bura yeah no mura i'm sorry he's credited as one of the writers so that's why i'm saying like he had these people in his room but it didn't feel like there was anything new or different to the story so it's like he invited them but it, it it didn't actually penetrate the final product or something i don't know Maybe he should stop owning Miyazaki as someone that inspired him. Like, that is a tall order, Wes. You should shut up about that because <laughs> Miyazaki kills it. And, like, you're not quite on the same level. <laughs> but the multimedia animation, wow. I was very impressed by mm-hmm. just the artwork of this film. Like, mm-hmm. the people that were involved on the artistic end of it did an incredible job mm-hmm. with the multimedia aspect. I think for me... What I'm going to take away from viewing this and future Wes Anderson films uh, is to continue to see things, continue to absorb and appreciate and and pick apart. Because if I had written off Wes Anderson, uh, I would never have, obviously I would never have seen this film. I'm very thankful I did because there was a lot of really positive aspects and a lot of beautiful reminders of how much more work we have ahead of us uh, to bring realistic uh, diverse, deep, purposeful characters to the screen, whether they're animals or whether they're humans or whether they're aliens or whether they're like a little <laughs> spore. Yeah, just a little spore floating around. It's going to happen. And yeah, I did like this movie. Like I would definitely recommend see it after listening to all of our spoilers and us like kind of shit on part of it. But <laughs> I did really enjoy the film. Yeah, it was funny. Good laughs. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, Wes. Make more films about animals. (laughs) Yeah, make more films about animals. Why don't you make a movie called Bitch and just make it about a lady dog (laughs) that you'll mate with who doesn't speak? What a good bitch. Or there could be a spinoff film just about the Oracle. We never even talked about the Oracle. Oh, the Oracle. I freaking loved the Oracle. So I liked the Oracle. One positive female role, yeah. but she, and she was thought to see the future 
but she just watched TV. Oh my god! <laughs> was Again, like the nuances of hitting on like dogs. I just they they nailed it. They did nail the dogs really well. <laughs> Gosh, no pun so, intended. Like, okay, so the Oracle just watched TV. Oh gosh. Yoko was so emotionally distraught she couldn't affect any sort of change. Um man, those nutmeg. ladies. Yeah, nutmeg was just hot. Yeah, completely hot and that was it. <laughs> Trixie. Um, she was Trixie too. Oh yeah, but mm-hmm. she like couldn't actually perform any of her checks because she didn't have her materials. Gosh, just imagine and then you could fantasize about her doing her tricks. Oh my god, I never even thought about it in that context. Neither did I. I just said it right oh, now. Man. Wow, there were just so many opportunities. There were too many to be missed. Good job, America. Plenty of opportunity <laughs> to to uh, really help representation. And telling two, three, four-dimensional Yeah, I stories. wonder how Scarlett Johansson feels. Like, so we're going to typecast you as the hot dog. She is always casted that way, though, most of the time. A lot of times. I that mean, her be, voice. I think that's why that she likes exhausting. doing indie films. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this month. Uh, we had a blast with you. Hopefully you go see Isle of Dogs. Create your own conversations. Talk it out. Talk it out. Bark it out. <laughs> Squawk it out. Oh my gosh, that howling though. Oh. From, um, what's his name? Yeah, it was like the leader. pitiful. It was like, <laughs> oh, I'm so sad. And on that note, <laughs> see, ya. see ya. This has been a Talking to Crows production. 